Good morning. If you'll stand for the reading of God's word. Today we're in Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chafe that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Have a seat, and as you do, I encourage you to grab your Bible and open up to Psalm 1. If you're scrolling there on your app, or uh, if you open up your physical Bible, I want to encourage you to do that so you can follow along with, with us as we walk through Psalm 1 this morning. Uh, my name is Derek Kimes. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new here, I want to encourage you to grab this card that was in your chair when you came in. Uh, take a few moments at some point during our gathering and fill this card out. Um, this will help us be able to connect with you, um, share a little information about who we are. We're a less than year old, about 10-month-old church plant here in the Burleson Crowley area, and we'd love to share with you more about Trailview Church, hear your story, and see if maybe the Lord's partnering us together um, to uh, reach this community. And so uh, if you're new or, or have not filled this out, I encourage you to do that. Also, uh, we have our next family member gathering, which is a Sunday evening gathering for only our church members on August 1st. Uh, we receive new members into Trevi Church at those meetings. And so if you have been coming to Trevi Church and are not a member and would like to have the conversations in and around membership, um, fill out this card, um, bring it to myself or Pastor Brandon, um, check the little membership box because there's some process that we walk through to sit down with you, make sure you understand Trevi Church, understand what we believe about membership before we actually would present you before Trevi Church in that family member meeting to be received into membership. And so, um, so if you're interested in membership, um, we need to do that this week before our August 1st family member meeting. Um, so if that's you, cool. Uh, if not, our next one is in October. We do them every other month at the first Sunday of that month. And so uh, whatever that looks like, if you want to jump on board now or if you want to wait, um, we always we, we say it this way. There's no biblical precedent for a Christian who's not a member of a local church. And so we shouldn't set a precedent in the church that there's a place for Christians to not be members. Um, so if you're in that bank or in that, that bucket, use this Connect card. Also, uh, we faithfully pray for uh, you, particularly through our home group list, who's in our home groups, and through these prayer cards. So uh, if you um, have something you'd like for us to join you in praying for this week, use this card. You can do a few things with this. You can do it digitally via the QR codes, or you can give it to us directly, or you can drop it in the black box on your way out uh, this morning. So that little housekeeping thing there, we'll let you know about. If you are a member of Trailview Church, uh, plan to be here August 1st. We'll have kids care available uh, for kids. We'll send out an email this week to kind of communicate what ages that's available for um, so that we can have a delightfully, like just, just a good life-giving time with one another as members this upcoming August 1st family member meeting that evening. So if you are a member, Make it a priority to be there. It's important stuff that we're going to walk through and talk through um, this time. So, cool. As we uh, look at Psalm 1, uh, let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever had, like, do any of y'all do, like, family dinner, like, questions? You sit down at the dinner table and you ask a question to your family and you kind of go around and everybody answers it. 
Um, we, we made a pattern and habit of doing this in a small group, particularly with 11th and 12th graders five or six years ago in student ministry, uh, where I'd come up with a table talk question and we would just go around and ask it. And it was always silly stuff. Um, but even the silly stuff reveals something about our hearts. We'd be like, oh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? It's like, I want to be invisible. Oh, really? <laughs> That's interesting. Tell me why, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and uh, I want to be the strongest. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Tell me why. Anyway, so uh, here's a, a table talk question that we visited every once in a while. It was this, like, if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only bring three things with you, what would they be? You're stranded on a desert island. You're stuck there. You can only bring three things with you. What would you bring? Like the, the reality is we would pick, hopefully, um, you would pick things that would be essential, that would be essential to your, your life, your survival, your well-being while on a stranded island. You would pick things that would be essential to help you survive so long as however long you may be stranded on that island. It may be a feral rod, the thing that you do to make fire. It may be... Um, Another human being, <laughs> it may be like chickens because they reproduce quickly. Who knows what? Like who knows what it would be? You can bring whatever you want. What would you bring? What what would you bring? And ultimately, that echoes this thing. Uh, I think this is essential to my life for my well-being to survive in that setting. Getting to flip the question, take it out of the desert island scenario. What does or what would your life if you stepped out of it for a moment? looked at the things that you do, the way you spend your money, the way that you spend your time, the way that you, you live your life, what you value and prioritize, what would it say that you believe is essential for your life? What are the decisions that you make on a daily, weekly, annual basis say that you believe is essential for your well-being, for your life? Not like our money, Jesus says this, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Can't serve two masters. He uses this language. Our money is a really good barometer for what we believe is essential in our life. What we're saving for, what we're planning for, what we're actively spending on. You want to know like what you value? Make a budget or evaluate and take your spending over the last month and categorize it and be like, oh, I care a lot more about eating out than I realized like, like, it will tell you and show you what you value, what you care most about, what you believe is essential for your life. Psalm 1 is going to step right into that reality. What is essential for your life? And make a declarative statement about what truly is essential for your life. And it's God's Word is essential for your life. That the Word of God is essential for your life. Now, the main point of this entire morning is this. God's Word is an extraordinary gift, and it leads to life. Leads, very important word there, we'll get to throughout the whole morning. God's Word is an extraordinary gift that leads to eternal life. And the roadmap we're going to walk through in Psalm 1 is this, that it leads us to joyful life, it leads us to a nourished life, and it leads us to eternal life. And so the Psalms, we've looked at a handful of them. I think this will finish the summer having looked at nine of the 150 Psalms. <clears throat> this is the seventh of them that we looked at this summer. 
the Psalms have a unique way. Poems, prayers, songs that were actually sung. They don't make sense in English sometimes because rhythm in other language doesn't sound like rhythm in English. But they're songs and they're, they're meant to be sung. They're prayers meant to be prayed. They're laments. They're, they're journals in some sense. And what they do is they, they particularly step into the physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational like realities that we as human beings live. They bring them to the forefront, like many songs we know do. We listen to like love ballads, right? Why? Because they bring about the emotion of love to the surface in your life when you listen to it, right? Yeah, they do. Like, why do, I don't know, I don't, I assume, why do people listen to like, like metal? I feel, to me, it like brings the like anger and aggression. Like, I don't know, maybe that's what it's like rising to the surface. Maybe some people listen to metal and they're like, nah, nah, nah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Like, it, it, but songs have a unique way of rising emotions to the surface that are already present within us. And the Psalms mean to do that very thing. To bring the conflict in our hearts, the complexity of our emotions to the surface so that when they're brought to the surface, wooing your heart out to be seen by yourself and others, God's Word can speak directly into those realities. That's what they're intended to do. They, they bring our emotions to the surface, and they speak directly into them with God's Word. And so Psalm 1, the beginning of all of the Psalms, it's Psalm 1, it leads off the first of the five books it begins by instructing God's people in their thinking and in their motions, specifically around the words instruction, law, and delight or pleasure. It's setting a framework for us that there is this convolution, this complex like intermingling of God's word and our delight or pleasure. And so uh, as we walk through this psalm, we're going to see that God's Word is an extraordinary gift, and it leads us to life. It leads us to a joyful life. It leads us to a nourished life, and it leads us to eternal life. So read with me in Psalm 1, this first point. God's Word leads to a joyful life. Psalm 1 starts this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On it he meditates day and night. As we walk through these first few verses, I want to define a few words that mean some really significant things for us. Uh, the first one is this word blessed. In the very first verse, he says, blessed is the man, that's kind of like senors in Spanish, man or woman, not exclusive, it's inclusive, but blessed. And that word blessed means a state of joyfulness or happiness. It actually means the word happy. Happy is the man or woman who Happy is that word that it means. And every one of us have this inner longing for joy, for happiness, for satisfaction, for pleasure, for life, for a joyfulness in life. And the question that poses before us is this, okay, where is that found? Where is that joyful state of happiness found? Is it found in youth? Not like teenager, but like young, healthy? Is it found in beauty? Is it found in fame? Is it found in wealth or success or climbing a ladder of some sort? Or, or is it found in duty? If I just work hard enough, I'll be happy. Is it found in 
an organization structure, if I organize my life, then I'll be happy? Is it found in freedom? Like, I'll just go my own way and rebel against the system? Is it found in sensuality? Fill myself in any sort of pleasure that can be found and then I'll be happy? Is it found in those places? Oftentimes we think, or at least we believe it is, which is why we go there to find happiness. To find this joyful state in life. And there's competing arguments inside of our own hearts and across the world saying, yeah, those are the places to go. And Solomon, David's son, David wrote Psalm 1, his son says this in Ecclesiastes 2.1, I said to my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. And so David's son, Solomon, does a little like, um, a test of his own soul. I'm going to fill myself with whatever I want and see what satisfies. I'm going to try it all. And as king, he can try it all. And through self-indulgence, Solomon set out to find happiness, a state of joyfulness in life. And here's the reality at the end of Ecclesiastes. Fascinating book if you read through it. He says, at the end of all of it, here it is. To fear the Lord and obey His commands. Like that's, after doing everything that can be done, that's his conclusion. Happiness is found in fearing the Lord and obeying His commands. So if you, here this morning, want to be happy, to have a happiness, a joyful state of life, blessed, and that doesn't mean like material, oh, I'm blessed, hashtag blessed kind of deal. Like No, it means like an inner sense of joy and satisfaction. Psalm 1 says, here you go. Here you go. Here it is. Well, here it is. Here is how you find satisfaction to this inner state and longing for joy and happiness. And it begins by saying where you don't find it. (laughs) It's not in the instruction or the counsel of the wicked because that leads to sorrow. Everything around us is competing for fulfilling that longing inside of us. If you look at marketing... Super Bowl ads are kind of like the precipice of marketing. What are they saying? What are they arguing? What are they trying to convince you of? If you had this, then you would be better off. You would be happy. If you had this woman or this man, or if you had this perfume, you'd have that woman or that man. (laughs) Or like, if you had this, you would magically become that woman or man. Uh, Like, if you had this food, you would just be like fully, completely satisfied. If you had these cars or, or this drink or this, that, or whatever it may be, you will be satisfied. It, it all echoes this, like, the grass is greener on the other side kind of thought or ideology. Like, everything you don't have will make you happy. Everything you don't have will make you satisfied. It's a lie that we believe or we're being put before us all the time. And just one more time in front of that sensual blue computer screen won't hurt anybody and it'll be good and satisfying. To have that next this or that thing 
will be satisfying. That experience or that material possession or that kind of relationship, then you will be happy. And this is the story of the fall of humanity. Like like Satan, the serpent, in the garden promises blessed life in disobedience to the law of God. That's his argument to Eve. God's holding out on you. You want real goodness? Disobey. She believes the lie. She eats the fruit and they experience the death God promised. You see, the story of wickedness is it always leads to death, sorrow. But the other word that we want to look at this morning is the word delight. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the council, not in the way of sinners or wicked, and doesn't sit with the scoffers, but his delight. That word means pleasure. At Trellview, we say our mission is to make disciples who delight in Jesus, who find their pleasure, their joy, their satisfaction in life in Jesus. He says, but his delight, which means pleasure. That there is pleasure to be found in God. And and the reality is that for some of us, the idea of pleasure and God's word is something really hard to grasp or really hard to believe. It's probably similar to like my relationship to spinach. (laughs) It's like, I don't like spinach. I'm more of a like 20 ounce ribeye, baked potato and a bowl of ice cream kind of guy, not a spinach salad kind of guy. Like, I'll do it, but I think my body internally is doing this thing where it's like, you need more vegetables, eat that. Not because I actually want it. And most of us, like, that's probably the way we feel about God's Word. It's like spinach. It's probably good for me, but I don't really like it. And and, oh, that's a sobering moment to to realize even if we wouldn't blatantly say it like I did, it puts us in a posture to where our relationship with God's Word, with Him through His Word, is a lot like mine with spinach. It's duty. I eat spinach because it's good for my body, not because I like it. Which isn't completely horrible. (laughs) It's not like horrible to, to approach God's Word from a sense of duty, Hopefully by being with God in His Word that He produces some delight in you. But when our heart is postured towards God's Word, not with a sense of there's pleasure to be found in God through His Word, but there's a sense of duty, it it doesn't sit right. You see, the Word of God is an extraordinary gift that leads to a joyful life because it leads us to Him. It leads us to God. And this word, the law, that he puts in here echoes this truth. He says, blessed is the man who doesn't do this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Like the law, meaning God's word, his instruction, has an intended purpose. And his word and his instruction has an intended purpose to draw you towards the one who gave the law. That's its intended purpose. The whole story of the Bible is intended not as a rules list, not as a basic instructions before leaving earth. Bible acronym you may have heard if you grew up in youth ministry. <laughs> like, it's not that. It's a story. 
It's a story, and stories have an intended purpose. Anybody ever read a law book? Like law books, when I hear about or think about a law book, I'm like, that sounds super boring. Anybody like like mystery TV and like really like that kind of stuff? Like law books are filled with stories, cases, actual stories of people who are like going to court against one another, and they're telling those stories that end in like a new law. So why would God's word, specifically the first five books, be called the law? and yet still be filled with stories. Because the stories are telling us the law. Specifically, it's telling us we need the one who gave us the law. It's a narrative showing that we need God. Like This is the story of the nation of Israel with God. God makes a covenant with His people. He establishes a relationship based on His character and nature. He gives them the law, or, or a certain set of laws they progressively build, then they break the law, they disobey it, uh, and then there's discipline or judgment for their breaking of the law. Uh, They rebel. God sends a messenger, typically it's a prophet. That prophet calls them to repentance. They repent, they return to God, and He's merciful and forgives them. That's the repeat cycle story of the entire Old Testament on repeat, over and over and over and over God establishes a covenant with his people. They don't, they don't, he gives them the law. They don't listen, they break it. He sends a messenger who says, hey, you broke the law. Repent, turn back to God. They repent and turn back to God. He forgives them and is merciful to them. Like All along the way, the law is meant to push or make us aware that we need the one who gave us the law, God. To echo and remind us that we need God. So when it says... Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. The law of God. His word is an extraordinary gift because it brings us to this reality. We need God. And in Him we find joy in life. It leads us to this source of joy in life. It leads us to Him. That every time we open up the word of God, it's a moment where we meet with an intimate communion with God, where our hearts experience our sin and His mercy each day. The Word of God, His law, leads us to Him where we find pleasure, joy, in life. A.W. Tozer said it this way. It'll be up on the screen for you if you want to take a picture of it or, or follow along. I don't know if I can actually read it from there. I'll read it from back there. The Bible is not an end in itself but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into Him, that they may delight in His presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God Himself in the core and center of their hearts. Like the Bible is meant, the law is meant to bring us to God where we find what our souls long for. Him. That each day as you open up God's Word, it should bring to light who God is where you then find joy in life. Joy is found in Him. So, what should we do? Blessed is a man who delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. Meditate not being like an emptying of your mind, but an actual like mulling over. 
And actually, it's the words to growl or to mutter in Hebrew. Like to, to literally, um, I don't think you should do this necessarily, but to literally in the Hebrew, meditate on God's word is to like mutter it under your breath. Or like, what is a growl? Like, you know, getting like distressed and you're just like, Ugh! like that, like, 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 why did words not come out just now? <laughs> like, well, in that moment. Because like there's something going on inside of me that just comes out and it doesn't come out verbally, it comes out, mm, right? Like to meditate on God's word is to like growl uh, or to mutter to ourselves the word of God. So that means we, as God's people, to meet with him, to commune and have intimacy with him, to taste the sweetness of God, we have to meditate on his word. This is why we regularly put before you guys the community Bible reading journals, the CBR journals. If you don't have a CBR journal, get one. Once you get one, that's step one. Step two is to use it. <laughs> and, and here's, I said this to somebody a few weeks ago. The best way to learn how to use the community Bible reading journal is to ask somebody who knows how to use it, hey, can we get coffee and just do this together? Just one time so that I can kind of see how it works. Or maybe like every couple of weeks, sit down and do it kind of thing. It's the best way that you can learn how to use the CBR, which is a really helpful tool. We're all reading the same thing right now, uh, Ezekiel and John. As a church, we're reading through that Bible reading plan. We're sitting down with God's Word, and we're meditating and praying through His Word together. If you want one, they're in the back of the group's wall. Um, get one today. But it's an intentional, helpful tool that helps you to slow down, read the Word of God, meditate and think on it and respond to him in prayer. So we as God's people, if we want to have a blessed, joy-filled, pleasure-filled life, we have to meditate on his word. So to say, clarify, to say, hey, I want to experience a joyful life, and now you know where you can, yet choose not to do it is foolish. Like, like to hear this morning, God himself say through his word, a joyful life is found in me, and you only meet with me through my word. So meditate on my word. And you're like, man, I really want a joyful life, but I really don't want to do it that way. It's foolish. So just own it. Confess to the Lord, like, hey, I want a joyful life, but I'm trying everything else. And come to the end of yourself in that before it really gets to the end of yourself. Just say, God, okay, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to meditate on your word. I'm going to see you and in you find joy. Maybe there's particularly other areas of life that you've been trying to find that joy. Let's confess and repent of that today. Uh, why? Because God's Word is an extraordinary gift, and it's an extraordinary gift that leads us to God, where we find an enjoyable, pleasure-filled life. But it doesn't only do that, it also leads us to a nourished life. This is the second point. It leads us to a nourished life. And this is verses 3-4. through four. As he continues to unpack uh, God's word and its impact in the life of a Christian or, or one of his people, he says this in verse 3. 
He, meaning the person who delights in the law of God, who meditates on it day and life, day and night. He, that person, is like a tree. First, that doesn't sound very flattering, but let's get there. He is like a tree planted by a streams of water. It yields its fruit in season, and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. He describes these two people, the one who delights in God's word, the blessed man, and the wicked man. And he describes them through illustration, and he uses a tree. He says, the tree, the tree person, it yields its fruit in season. Uh, fruit is produced how? Why? Anybody ever had a fruit tree that never produced fruit? Or, or a vegetable that never actually produced vegetables? Like, what is a farmer or a orcharder? <laughs> what are they doing? An arborist, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> like, what are they doing? What's their whole job? To see to it that this tree produces fruit. And what does a tree require for producing fruit? The necessary hydration and nutrients are essential for the tree to produce fruit. So a tree that doesn't produce fruit or produces bad fruit, there's something wrong in the water or in the soil. It's not getting the necessary nutrients that it needs. It says that their leaves do not wither. Why, why would a tree's leaves wither? Because it's not getting the necessary nutrients and water that it needs in order to maintain its leaves. And then it says it prospers in life. The word prosper here means like to succeed. That's what it means. It means to like accomplish its intended purpose. So for a tree, what's its intended purpose? To be filled with foliage, to provide shade and fruit. And that may be an acorn or maybe a peach, who knows. But nonetheless, a tree, its intended purpose is to produce fruit and provide foliage. It's its whole purpose. And so uh, the tree that is receiving the appropriate nutrients and water accomplishes its intended purpose for life. Versus the wicked, so that's the description of the one who delights in the Word of God. The wicked are like chaff. I'll give you a brief history lesson. Uh, historically, uh, they would cut down the wheat in the field and they would bundle it up and they would bring it to the threshing floor, which is a hole dug in the ground, and they would take giant rocks and they'd roll it over the top of all of the crushed or the wheat and it would break it up. It would take the husk and it would crush it and it would break the stalk and it would do all that. And then they would take a pitchfork, have it all piled up, all this crushed wheat, not like flour, but like crush the actual plant, and they would take it on a windy day, they're in like a three or four foot deep hole, and they would throw it up in the air. And the wheat, the actual kernel of the plant, is heavy and dense, whereas the broken up pieces of the plant are light like feathers, and so when they threw it up out of the surface of that threshing floor, the wind would blow the chaff away, and the wheat would fall down to the floor. And they would just do this on repeat, over and over and over and over and over. Why? Because they were trying to get the, the chaff to blow away to where the only thing remaining was the actual fruit, the grain. And so he describes the wicked like the broken up pieces of dry, dead plant that get thrown up in the air and blown away. 
When the chaff is dry, it's brittle, it's leaf waste, it's dead. Why? Because it's not connected to the source where it would receive nutrients and nourishment, the water that it needs. So the psalm is saying that the person whose life is lived in the counsel of wickedness is dry, is dead, is decaying, is waste like chaff because it's not connected to the source of nourishment that that person's life and soul needs. This is the narrative of the Bible when it talks about sin. Like sin from the beginning, as God promised, leads to death. It always does. It promises to provide nourishment, it fails to provide nourishment, and it leads to dry, brittle, broken, dead life. This is sin. This is Genesis 3. Sin leads to death, as God said. This is Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right unto man, saying the wicked way, but its end is the way of death. So why did the tree have so much more health than the chaff? Like in the illustration that the psalm writer is saying, why did the tree have fruit? and vitality, and prosper, and leaves? And then why was the chaff dry and dead and brittle? Because it was connected to the source of nourishment that it needed. For you and I, the stream that brings us the nutrients and the nourishment that we need for our souls and our whole life is God's Word. That God's Word brings us the nourishment and the nutrients that we need. His Word is the primary way by which we commune with God, where we receive the nourishment that our souls long for and need. It is. And this is what Jesus is getting at in John 15, when He talks about the branch that does not bear fruit. It's cut off, dry, broken, thrown into the fire. Then in order for a branch to bear its fruit, it must be connected to the vine that provides the nutrients, and Jesus is that vine. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was Jesus, he's just quoting it, hold on. Uh, God's words are meat, drink, and food. And if bodies live not on words... Souls and spirits feed upon words of God and are satisfied and full of delight. God's word is meat and drink and food for your soul that provides the satisfaction and fullness of delight. Let me give you an illustration. Prior to getting married and well being married, Rachel and I read multiple books on marriage. We read lots of them. We read books on like, here's what a woman is, here's what a man is. We read books on like how do men and women like like love and respect and like all these kinds of different books. Like we read lots of lots of different books. Some great, some not so great. But nonetheless, we read lots of them. But good Christian marriage resources are intended not to just inform me on what good marriage should be and should look like. They're not meant to just be a source of information. 
They're meant to draw me closer to my wife. That I can fill my head with all of the biblical knowledge and wisdom about having a biblical good marriage, but if I don't move closer to in connection with my wife, I'm not going to find nourishment or a healthy marriage. Like those resources are good, but they have an intended purpose to move me towards my wife in marriage. In the same way, God's Word is the source by which we receive nourishment because it connects us, moves us towards Him. So we need to, just like we said a second ago, meditate on His Word. The healthy tree is not healthy because it has good DNA. It's a healthy tree because it's connected to the source of life and nutrients. Which, that brings a great deal of hope. Like if your life's jacked up, welcome to the party. But here's the deal. Here, here, here's, here's the deal. If your life's jacked up, it's not, like, it's not hopeless. Because the source of nutrients and, and, and nourishment and life that you need in your life is available for your life, which may very well right now be jacked up, but can be fruitful, can be luscious, can be filled with joy and delight through communion with God through His Word. So don't give up. Just go to the right place for nourishment. Go to the right place for the nutrients, the refreshment that your soul needs. I mean, this is what he says. This, the blessed person, day and night. Day and night. They meditate on God's nourishing, life-giving, refreshing Word. Why? Because it's the means by which we meet with God in whom we find nourishment. Life. So it's worth us asking the question, what dry riverbeds and deserts do we often go to searching for nourishment? Like if your home group meets tonight or this week, ask that question. What dry riverbeds or deserts do you often go to searching for nourishment? They look really good and really promising, but they leave us dry. At first glance, they may even look like they're going to be luscious and good. Yet you show up and it was a mirage. Oftentimes these are good gifts. They're good things. Good gifts from God that we search for nourishment in life from. We've taken a gift and we've made it the source of life instead of a, a thing that echoes and points us to the source of life, God. It can be other people. Maybe friends or your spouse. Maybe your kids or a boss. Maybe social media. You go there hoping that it will do something for you. Maybe knowledge. 
If I could just learn more, grow more, then I'll find nourishment. Maybe it's adventure. Maybe it's rest. If I can just like rest, then I'll find nourishment. Rest is good. Adventure is good. Knowledge is good. Like social interaction is great. Singleness, great. Marriage, great. Kids, great. Work, great. But if we go to it as a source of nourishment, not great. Wealth, sex, religion. Like when we approach all of these things as a as a, as a well in which you're going to find a, a life and nourishment for your soul, it never provides the nourishment you need. It, as a good gift, is meant to lead us to the one who provides nourishment. God. So God in His grace has given us His Word, and it leads us to a joyful life we find in Him. It leads us to a nourished life. And the last thing that we see is that God's Word is a gracious, good gift that leads us to eternal life. It doesn't only lead to joy and gladness and pleasure. It doesn't only lead to fruitfulness. And to echo back that like word, prosper, that God's Word brings us to prosper, that means to fulfill our intended purpose, which is to glorify God. It doesn't mean necessarily wealth, material possessions, and prosperity. You can glorify God in whatever place you find yourself. And the third thing, is, like I said, it leads us to eternal life. Verses 5 and 6 say this, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, the Bible has... Two categories of people. And this psalm echoes it through the, throughout the whole. You got wicked, you got blessed, you got tree, you got chaff, you got righteous, you got unrighteous. It only has two categories for people. And it, it's these. You have wicked and you have righteous. Like there's no third category. There's no place where it's like, pretty good. There's not like, oh, if you put yourself on the spectrum between like wickedness and righteousness, where do you find yourself? Ah, here or here. It's like, no. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area here. Like it's either wicked or righteous. And it's a definitive. There's not a like, well, today I feel kind of righteous. Today I feel really wicked. Like, no, this is a definitive statement. There is wicked and there is righteous in the world, which should cause us to feel a weight of this coming judgment, that there is those who are wicked who will, st- who will not stand before the judgment, which means they will be judged and be found guilty. And then there are the righteous, and the righteous will stand in the judgment, which means they will join the congregation of God, His people. Which puts us in this, in this place of like, okay, well, am I righteous or am I wicked? Am I righteous or am I wicked? See, okay, well, who is wicked? 
clear a definitive thing? Everyone apart from Jesus. Not everyone but Jesus, but everyone apart from Jesus. Like everyone who does not have faith in Jesus is wicked. Fits that category. There's self-righteous wickedness. Wicked who think they're righteous, who think they're great, who think life's good, who think they're like kind of that middle ground, kind of lean in this direction. They feel like they're good, but they have no faith in Jesus. And so despite the fact that they feel righteous, they're wicked. And then there's rebellion in wickedness. Like it's, they're not even, they're they're not trying to become righteous. They're just rebellion against God in righteousness or rebellion against his word in wickedness. This is what Romans 3 echoes. There's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That everyone who is apart from Jesus is definitively wicked. But here's the good news. Everyone who is a part of in Jesus is definitively righteous. That that you will stand before the judgment. Sinless. Because who is righteous? Wicked people who are in Jesus. Like sinners who have put their faith and trust in Jesus are righteous. They're not like closer to righteousness. They are righteous. Which means if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, when it comes to righteousness, you can rest because it's done for you in Jesus. That you once were wicked apart from Him, and by faith in Him you've been made righteous before God. That there is no condemnation for you. There's nothing that God would look at you and say, yep, you did it again. Condemned. No. Jesus has earned your righteousness. And He has gifted it to you by faith alone. That there's two categories of people and it's not a like progression. We're not trying to earn and get to righteousness. You either have, do not have Jesus, no faith in Him and are wicked, or you have faith in Jesus and are done definitively righteous before God. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 echoes. For our sake, for your good, out of love for you, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, to be your wickedness, who knew no sin, who had not sinned, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus takes your wickedness upon Himself, dies on a cross, and by faith freely gives you His perfect earned righteousness. Which should lead our hearts to just like say, yes! Like, thank you, Jesus! You've done what I could not do. And so Jesus, the Word of God, echoing from page 1 to the end, points us to this reality. There's wicked and there's righteousness, and the only way to go from wicked to righteous is by faith in Jesus, whom God sent to take your sin and to give you righteousness. 
Jesus is your righteousness. He is your eternal life. And if you're in here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never gone from that like wicked in sin, trying to get over here thing, or saying, I don't care, and going the other way. If, you've never, if, you, if you're there and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, confessed Him as Lord, asked Him to save you and forgive you of your sin, then today Jesus invites you to go from wickedness to righteousness in a definitive moment of faith. So do that today. Find eternal life in Jesus. The Word of God, when we read it, isn't meant to help you get closer to righteousness. It's not. It's a definitive thing that says, you want to be righteous? Come to me and I'll give you righteousness for free. To anyone who asks. By faith, you can be made righteous and withstand the eternal judgment of God towards sin. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, today I just want you to hear this. If if your approach to God's Word, if your relationship with God looks like, I'm just trying to be more righteous so that God will be more happy with me, hear me say this. You're righteous. Done. He has done all that was necessary to accomplish your righteousness and to deal with your sinfulness. So your faith in Jesus has made you clean, righteous, joyful, and delighted by the Father. It's done. So rest in that. Yeah, we still sin, and what do we do? Confess, repent, and come to Him, and sit once again in His completed righteousness. It's done for you. So when you mess up, we should not feel condemned. Convicted, yeah. Because sin leads to death and God wants you to live in life and joy, but not condemned. So I want to lead us to a few different things this morning. Maybe a response for you looks like owning the reality that you've been searching for joy and life and nourishment in other things. We say this around Trovi all the time. Uh, the best thing that you, you can do when you feel convicted about something off in your heart is to just own it. I don't mean own it as in like, oh, that's who I am, personalize it. I mean own it as in like, step up, take responsibility for your rebellion, your sin, and bring it before God and ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to remind you that He loves you. So if you've blown it when it comes to seeking joy in life or pleasure when it comes to your role as a single adult or as a parent or as a boss or as an employee or friend, if you feel like you, you, today you've blown it, like to humbly come before God, confess it, and ask Him to fill you with the light. Uh, I want to encourage you, if, if you don't have a regular rhythm of meeting with, communion with, meditation on God's Word, then ask for help and start. Like, I love, Brandon loves, our home group leaders love sitting down with people who are like, hey, teach me how to read the Bible. Will you do the CBR with me? Like, do that. Do that. Get a CBR journal. Ask somebody to help you show, how, show you how to use it. Begin 
running to going to the stream of nourishment and joy in life. God, via his word. And then again, rest. That your eternal life is secured by Jesus. Every one of us is looking for and longing for a joyful, nourished, fruitful life. And it's only found in God. And his word leads us there. As you respond this morning, uh, I'll be in the back over here. Pastor Brandon will be over here. If you need to put your faith in Jesus, we'd love to sit down and talk with you. If you need to sit and pray, if you need to confess your sin to one another or to one of us, need some prayer for something, we'd love to chat with you. Uh, But we want to respond to God in worship. The worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing. We're going to stand and sing, sit and pray, come get counsel, guidance, prayer, whatever you may need. Let's use this time to respond to God and what he said today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for for desiring our joy, that you don't want us to suffer, that you want us to experience joy and gladness, pleasure and delight, so much that you regularly and faithfully through your word tell us where it is. In you. So God, would you help us to to own where we have gone wrong and to humbly come before you in confession? And God, would you echo and remind us that we are righteous in Jesus today? And then would you help us to work diligently to experience that joy every day through the spiritual discipline? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.